to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, today's Tenuous Links is brought to you by the new Titleist AVX Golf Balls. Engineered for greater speed, longer distance and increased short game spin. AVX was developed as a performance alternative to sit alongside Titleist's Pro V1 and Pro V1X models, offering the lowest flight, lowest spin and softest feel of these three premium balls. The new AVX, offered in both white and high optic yellow, will be available in Australia and New Zealand golf shops later this month. Keep an eye out for the new Titleist AVX golf balls. Higher speed, longer distance, more control. Philbert, here we meet again, my old friend. Damien, but this time we get to meet somewhere special. We're here at Victoria Golf Club, and doesn't it look absolutely magnificent this morning? Fantastic, fantastic condition. It's a little on the warm side, but we're going okay. We're very lucky to be indoors. In fact, in the pool room, I'm just looking for the jousting sticks. Lazy 41 degrees. <laughs> people have seen the castle. Yeah, but there's a bit there's a bit going on. But no, it's always a joy to be here and very uh, very lucky to be able to have this as our guest location. And Phil, while we do love where we are now, we never start with our loves. Come on, time to cleanse ourselves. What have you got that you hate this week? I was a bit surprised by the, all that love early on, whereas we really just <laughs> need to get into it. Damien, I have decided that I am sick to death of looking at people using broomstick putters. Oh, this is old news, surely. I know, it's old news. But I was watching the European Tour event again uh, just last night, the Saudi International, in the hope that Patrick Reid, being surrounded by bunkers, might do something silly as per our last podcast and noticed a player by the name of Justin Harding from South Africa, who's a hell of a player, really, really good player, holding this broomstick but not anchoring it. I'm sure he wasn't anchoring it because, heaven forbid, anyone would actually breach the rules. But it's just a terrible look. So it's more the look of it for you that... It's just a crap look. I still think it's cheating, and it's a crap look. How can it possibly be cheating if – now, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I don't necessarily disagree with you on this, but how is it cheating if it's allowed within the sport? Or how is it a breach when it's yes. allowed within the sport? I know. You Legal's should looking over at me. ask Sepp Blatter. Maybe we'll ask Sepp Blatter how it's cheating when it's allowed within the sport. So I think it's the courage of the sport to not just say, you know what, enough's enough because they've – you know, 460cc, you know, we could have gone bigger, but no, we'll make it 460cc, we'll make the ball 1.68. They've, they've shown that they can regulate when required, and for some reason the broomstick putters, there's enough pushback. And where I don't like about it is this ambiguity of the anchoring, you know, because you, yeah, there, there's no the clear way of seeing where they are or aren't. And, oh, no, I'm hanging on to my shirt. No, I'm not ringing. Actually, and, oh, is that wrong? No, I'm not hanging on to my shirt. I meant to say that my thumb accidentally got hooked in the lapel, not, not ideal. Is it's the, just hideous. Is the argument not that it's open for everyone to use? If it is that much of an advantage, why aren't all golfers using it? On it's not. A, this is not an advantage discussion. This is just a crap look just discussion. Looks it just looks terrible because even a new golfer coming into the game, there's a, a, a consistency that's nice. There's a variance in variance in a variance. Wow. Let breathe through. There's a variance in technologies. There's a variance in all these other things. But that's the most clearly different piece of equipment. So otherwise it looks relatively consistent. Yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. What? How come that guy was using a putter that looked like it was as long as a broomstick? So in your theory, we should start banning things that just look bad. 
This in my theory, the we should who, ban whatever the hell I want. This and is I'll- coming from the guy who uh, has an interesting dress sense, although I must say it seems to me that you've uh, – Stepped up a don't notch worry. here. Don't worry about don't worry about film. my dress sense. We no. In fact, that's a topic for another time. Other than the fact that we did put the call out saying, "Can someone please do something about my inability to dress?" It looks like someone has um, stepped up and helped you out here. And Phil. all I will say, and I'm not going to, I won't declare the brand, but Peter Millar not only <laughs> stepped up to the plate. My wife likes the shirt. You actually look. My right, son said annoying. they're not terrible. So there's two ticks, which is far better uh, yeah, than anything I've ever done. So, yes, any, comfortable, any, and I'm on my way, so thanks. Anything that takes a focus off your head, Phil, is good for all of us. I'm going to get into my hate this week. Once I stop crying, yes. <laughs> Very simple one. Bunkers without any sand in them. We've all been there. You know what I'm talking about. I you know. step into the into the bunker. It feels like it's almost more hard pan. Again, this isn't such an issue when you're halfway up the fairway, a bit of a, a fairway bunker, but when you're – Green side, nothing more frustrating. It's so hard to, even with a, a really good technique, it's really hard to stick it to the green. And it just feels, it can't be that hard. I mean, there's beaches everywhere. You just got to get some sand, stack it up. Yeah, watching you yesterday under the masterful tutelage of Kipper, I would say that that is a fear you won't have. It is a hate you has, have as of today. But seeing a couple little tricks along the way, depending on the depth of the sand, I think you're in pretty good shape and you're just going to say, you know what, I love bunkers. In fact, you do love bunkers in general. No, I do like bunkers, but without sand, it's just it's not a bunker to me. It's a it's just a whole lot of pain. <laughs> That's right. I do. I I do actually agree with you. It, it's frustrating. But what's more frustrating is the inconsistency of bunkers. So if you do get to a golf course and there's a consistent depth of sand, even if there is no sand, then you just have to get over it and move on. It's actually when it becomes inconsistent, yeah. whereby hard pan, deep and fluffy. And all the rest of it. that's you have that's when I adjust. start blaming yeah. things for my inability to get out of the sand. No, we we can all blame things. I'll let you off there. For I can sure. blame. I really can blame. <laughs> Phil, all right. I feel cleansed. I feel pretty good. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm on my way, Dumbo. From misery to happiness today. Let's get some happiness. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. What do you love? Do you know what I love? Just as I dislike broomstick putters, mm. I love great putters. Like a what? Like a ping answer or something? Uh, or a- Exactly, not like a ping answer or something like that. Like a different model called a Ben Crenshaw or a Brad Faxon or an Aaron Badley. I love watching great oh, putters. Peep, uh, putters. I yes, love yes. watching people who are great at their craft, particularly in putting, just step up, point and shoot. I love watching the process behind getting the holding the putts. I love the confidence they have over them. I love how hard they must have worked to have that ingrained. I love their touch. I love their feel. I love the approaches, and I'm going to put Aaron Badley in this mix as well as an Australian putter. I mean, he's point and shoot, but he just gets it and he's absolutely confident with it. Here's a question for you. How much of that do you think is ingrained in these people? Some people are just naturally gifted putters. Obviously, there's a whole lot of practice that goes behind it, but how much – do you think if – I guess I guess the question is if someone just practised and practised and practised, do you think they could get anywhere near any of those guys or are they just naturally – incredibly gifted i think they're incredibly gifted it's a really good question i think they're incredibly gifted and i'm not suggesting that that every tour player doesn't practice and practice and practice in the quest to become that good so there is a gift that they must have had and there's a feel and a sense on the greens i mean you they almost walk on to a green and look like they own it Uh, and mickelson's a bit that way too he walks on the green and they look like they own it and you're expecting them to hold it from anywhere. And I think it's that confidence of being able to – and some will do it with – Greg Norman used to walk onto a tee and pull that driver yeah, and you just knew that it was going to go within a centimetre of where we wanted it. And so that is it. Is that a 
gift. It's partly skill. It's partly fortune, and it's a hell of a lot of hard work. But I love it. But I, I just love the confidence. I love that they step over the ball, and you're expecting it to go in, as opposed to being not sure. And I'm not going to have a go. But Lee Westwood would have won fifty times the number of tournaments he has, and he's won a hell of a lot, and he's a great player. But if he could, if he could putt like Baddeley, it's like building that Uber golfer. I mean, if he could putt like Baddeley or inside six feet, if he was the same as Jason Day, then Westwood, Westwood has won. Ten majors. West is still because he's a freak. He's still my best player to not currently playing to not have won a major. Yeah, he's awesome. He is. He's a guy. Uh, he's, he's awesome, and it's yet. not too late. Possibly, but Phil, my love this week is a. It's a little different. It's mastering a showy shot. I love that being able to master a showy shot. So you and ego is meant to be unique to the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was pointed out by Simon when you got fitted at Mizuno that ego is not a dirty word to Damien. What is it about that though, Damien? Well, he did fit me with a with an outstanding sixty degree wedge, with which I love to play the flop shot, Phil. And we mastered it yesterday. Kipper's Kipper. Again, we didn't. I got to watch. The, what's that? I said we didn't master it. I got to watch you mastering it. I love it. I actually feel really confident with flop shots now. And how much? How good are they? To watch, to witness when oh, yeah. you hit it just over a bunker, fringe, let it roll out, lip out. It's all on camera, people. We can show this. It could be one of golf's sexiest shots, it which is. might be another series. But no, it would be fair to say that you might have hit a few good ones to the point at which I said, I, and you might have heard this from me before, I don't believe you've hit that many good shots in a row. Yet uh, You continue to just pop the ball up and it was – I mean, just to paint the picture, it was a, the pin was five foot on the green over a bunker and it was downwind out of rough. So if there's a sexy shot for you that you'd love to master or that you have mastered, what would it be? Well, obviously I haven't mastered it and it's hurtful that you've mastered one that I haven't after all my years of playing golf. Mine, I have two, which are the same as my goal shots. Mm-hmm. The sexiest shot for me would be having the ability to hit a stinger mm-hmm. or having the ability to be 60 yards out from a green, 70 yards out from a green and hit that low checking Spinning shot, because yeah. I can I can hit a flop shot consistently enough, but I'd rather not need to, mm. because I've just got that ability to hit a seventy yard shot to, to you know I only want it to two feet, three feet. Yeah, no, I don't, don't want to hit it close to the pin. You don't want to get too greedy, Phil. But to me, that that is. But everyone's got a shot that they would think is their sexy shot. But I think the lob shot is it's pretty a fun well. shot to play as yeah. well. It's a it's a very showy thing, but every time you hit one well, someone is bound to say, "Oh, that was just awesome. That's just cool." Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Phil, game changers for this week. Uh, I know you had something quite interesting. Well, there's been a lot of discussion this week, Damo, about golf leagues and rivals to the PGA Tour and obviously on the back of maybe the Indian Premier League or, you know, from a cricket point of view or otherwise. But what was interesting listening to the Premier Golf League be discussed when I'm aware of the Golf Premier League that exists. And I love this concept about engagement at a club level. So the Golf Premier League, for those who don't know, is a way of, of really, and without sounding like that I'm espousing it too much, it, it brings a club together where it allows players to play in a team and they on a comp day and they don't necessarily need to play together, mm-hmm. but they form a team, they play against other teams as either an aggregate of Stableford scores or stroke scores or par scores and compete against each other. And you can do anything from having a knockout competition to a ladder to or a season long thing to a last team standing, you can play it across. Heaven forbid, I say. I think I'm still allowed to acknowledge men and women. I think you are. Phil. Okay, you can Legal play it both as yes. men and women or green tiers. It actually doesn't matter, and that's not necessarily what you drink. It doesn't matter in what format you can create it. But an awesome idea 
that was the brainchild of my old club pro at La Trobe in Elphicton in Victoria, Mr. Tony Craswell. So credit where it's due, Cras, I hope you were the only mind behind it and I haven't left out anyone else. But great idea about creating engagement, creating conversation and bringing the club back because this this ongoing competition as a side competition to just score. Which is the concept of team goal, Phil. This thing has to be a winner. I mean, we've talked to a lot of people around about uh, Ryder Cups and President's Cup and they all talk about how good team golf is and surely the fact that this is that's the basis of this it's going to it's going to have a really strong supporter base from the get go with the professionals I, I think it absolutely will i think the fear that immediately the pga tour have had around change saying we're well, going to have to choose which competition you're going to be a member of well they're competing concurrently with the european tour and asian tour yet have no issue with that but big brother comes along with a lot of power and a lot of money and there's a little bit of that that fear, and it's interesting to see how they posture and how they start to posture when a competitor even pokes his head up at whatever level. But one of the really fascinating things is this idea of, and there's a lot of details to come out, but the idea of creating a professional golf team that can be owned by potentially a competing professional as part of a yeah, conglomerate if it's allowed to go that way. So yeah. Phil Mickelson can own Team Kepka, <laughs> but potentially if Phil Mickelson's still – Playing and again, I don't. I mean, who knows exactly how it's going to look? But it's exciting, and it's not just exciting because it's new and different. Just some new franchises, that sort of concept. And when you think, I mean, you talked about Phil; he's almost the the guy that you reckon would be the first to jump on this. When you think about, he wanted to have part ownership in Padres, uh, San Diego, the baseball baseball team, wasn't it? He's got his eyes on bigger things, and he loves yeah, and he loves getting behind a concept early. And they're all sitting back there, and, and even Rory was banging on about, oh, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, but. You know what? As soon as the cash pops out, then it'll be, I'm a traditionalist who would like to earn double the amount of money. So let's go. But it's change is not a bad thing. No, it um, doesn't have to be. And it just shakes things up. And sometimes you say, eh, you know, let's just let it go. One of the points that has been made from the Premier Golf League is that they won't ever have events that compete with the majors. So even they're traditionalists. So even they're being, yeah, they're being respectful of the of the game's traditions and the game's heritage. And maybe they're just saying that they they don't feel much about playing golf at some outback golf club. I mean, not that they do in the PGA Tour, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But surely more golf is Hopefully. going to be – surely more golf is better for golf. I think any approach and any investment in has to be good for the game and to grow the game. And I think getting back to the golf Premier League as opposed to Premier Golf League, you the way that it, the golf the game can be played still with mates or friends or associates and still in a competitive environment, a lot of people take up the game at – 40 or otherwise, because, well, I can't play football or, you know, depending on where you are, soccer, baseball, yeah. insert game here, but I still have this competitive desire. Now, one of them can be me against everybody or part of it can be me and a couple of friends against another group of friends. And that's why we love we love match play, we love skins. All these things is just this theme of, of taking golf from being a very much a individual game to a game celebrated with people that you like spending time with. Yeah. No, I agree entirely with you. Is that your, all you've got to say on your game changer, Phil? Um, you pretty happy with that? I am pretty happy with I that, Damien. a good one. Mine's even better, though. I love it when you say that because you raised the bar, and we're not going to go back to the blue stuff from last week, but you raised the bar constantly and consistently, and I can't wait. I'm going to call you Sergei Bubka. You are because I can't with wait. sarcasm right now. I can't wait to take us there, Damien. Justified because my game changer, Phil – it's just not using T's. Not using T's. 
Damien is your tea. game changer. Like tea. Can I write that down just yes. in case I don't listen write, to this podcast? Write that down. Not, you write that down. Not using teas. That's, There's a reason for this. They'd want to be. People, for people like me who hit the ball reasonably, shall we say, high, very, very high, playing the driver off the deck. Beautiful ball flight for me. Fair. Kipper says so. Oh, well, if Kipper said. He says, I should always just drop the ball down and hit it off the tee. Doesn't matter what Jack Jack says. <laughs> well, if that's what Kipper says. But Kipper yeah. says. He's like the me. ultimate excuse for you, isn't he? He's like, the dog ate my homework. No, no, no. Kipper said. But you've noticed I don't use it. I never use a tee on a par three. I'm not sure that's working out for him. I'm not sure I'm, I'm arguing in my favour here. But why, why do you need to tee it up? Explain to me why you tee it up. I think it's solely around trying to make contact. There's a little orb that's got dimples in it and it's all about trying to get that little orb please go on in a central position on the golf club and so to take driver off the tee and this is um, we'll get a little bit technical on you but if you take driver off the deck you're going to hit it low on the face and low on the face creates more spin you're telling me that you have this nice flat ball flight but the ball will the wall no I don't know Kipper said no you know this no that's why I didn't say that Phil said Certainly your three-wood off the deck. Your three-wood off the deck is fantastic. Driver off the deck must come out with more spin. You are you are missing the middle of the golf club by doing it because the only way the ball can get to the middle okay. is by taking a divot. So explain that. Explain 15 that love to me. Explain that with an iron. Explain that to me with an iron. You're tanging up on a par three. Yeah. You're used to hitting the ball off the you – know, you're actually yeah. changing uh-huh. your swing uh-huh. to continue your theory. Yes, right. So the depth of the face on an iron compared to a driver and the centre of gravity on an iron is lower than on a driver. So getting the centre of gravity underneath the ball, the centre of gravity of the ball is easier on an iron. Not only that, you've got to hit down to hit up. The ball's coming out of the middle of the club face. Well, in the, the not quite the middle but just low side of the middle, which is perfect for creating the optimum ball flight. So there it's you have it. We're in a grants. No tees is a good little game changer. You should all try. <laughs> yeah, you should all yeah. try it, and then you can all go looking for your balls with Damien. Abuse me later. All right, Phil. That wasn't a great game changer. I concede. Gear effect. This one is a good one. You are going to like this. I promise you'll like this one. This week, my gear effect is a new rake. A new rake. A new rake. So is this a new rake you would like to issue to your professional bunker rakers that you proposed as a game changer week? Don't if don't you like that idea. You pipe down. This now this is a new rake for bunkers. It's just been released at the PGA merchandise show over in Flow Rider. Has it got a wacky name? It's wacky. It doesn't even come close to how good this is. Cleverness. Ready? Bunker Wizard. Bunker Wizard. Whoa. I thought that was you after your masterclass yesterday with Kipper. Very good, buddy. This thing looks like a paint roller, sort of without the brush. It really does look does. a lot like a paint Have you roller. Seen this? You've like, seen this? Well, you're showing me now. Yeah. It thing. looks a lot like a paint roller. Yeah, it does. Have a look at the results of it, though. So this thing eliminates footprints and other marks in the sand that, bunker, uh, that um, rakes are supposed to do. But the really clever thing about it is it leaves it with a really uh, uniform, flat surface on top. No lines, no channels from the from rake points. And you know how finicky I am about my bunkers, Phil. This is going to be a game changer. Have you seen Wayne's World? Have I? Game on. Right. Do you remember the suck cut that sucks as it cuts? Yes. yes. It certainly does suck. <laughs> this may well be the suck cut. It's very good. Because it actually looks to me like a paint roller. It does. That just doesn't have the roller on. And I don't think paint roller magic was a good enough no, name. There's no, there's no more excuses. One, this thing will go gangbusters. Nuts. It's it, going nuts already. It's it trending on Twitter. Sure. Over to you, Phil. What's your gear effect? You're, you're giving me nothing today. I know, I know it's hot, Phil, but give me something. My gear effect is equally as 
Riveting. Interesting. <laughs> Damien, I saw coming out of the PJ Merchandise show as well, counterbalancing is a concept that has existed in Been various forms for, while, yep. for almost forever. So Jack Nicholas used to counterbalance his golf clubs. Oh, okay. Yep. Going back to the, the late 60s, early 70s. Sergio Garcia counterbalances his golf clubs. There are cricket bats now that are counterbalanced and otherwise, but the complication of trying to build counterbalancing in is that you either needed to have some crafted plug that you could put into the butt of the club or you needed to manipulate it with lead tape in terms of wrapping lead tape literally around the top mm-hmm. of the club that has to be below where you grip it. Some new grips have come out which are counterbalanced. So they've actually got the counterbalancing built into in the, the grip, grip but not just for putters. This is for iron. So they've got a little weight built into the, the butt end of each grip. And I really like the, the fact that people are continuing to, to explore this theory despite there's varying or conflicting views on how much it can actually help because the, the gap between where you grip it and where the, the balance point or the counterbalance weight is is not significant. But I like the fact that, that they're thinking about it and pursuing it because it's got to have something in it that works, even if it's very hard to work out tangibly the change. Is this with a particular brand at all? or It could be. My research or? just says... No, as in a manufacturer, is, is it something that, that pings? No, 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 it's not, no, it's not it's a club a, manufacturer. It's a, grip. it's a grip manufacturer. Okay. Who, therefore, you can apply it to anything. Yeah. Just as the Arcos grips got applied to various things and Ping have just released them on the G710 and Copper have done a bit with Arcos too. This is just a grip that you can buy. But traditionally all the counterbalance grips have been around putting. Does it come in white? Oh, my goodness. Your ego, I'm just going to make a note next to not using T's and I'm going to put ego and I'm going to put a box around the word ego. No, not yet, but I'm sure it will, Damien. And when it does, I'm going to get you a set of counterbalance grips but it's a really interesting idea to actually build, potentially build a club an inch longer than you need it and have the, the weight sitting up the end as long as you know where to grip it down. That's not the theory of the grip, but for counterbalancing to work, it needs to get a so, bit closer. So to the average golfer, what is the, what is the benefit, the obvious benefit of having a counterbalance? Well, there's two. One, one is ideally it's about speed without effort. And the other one is about stability. Oh, so this is why you're a fan of it. <laughs> the guy no, who needs the it. other one is around stability. Mind. So it's really about you can make a golf club heavier, but it doesn't swing heavier because you've got something helping you swing it. Mm-hmm. And if it's a heavier golf club, it's going to have a greater moment of inertia. It's going to deflect less, and therefore it's going to be more accurate and more consistent or more forgiving, which is what we're all pursuing. A bit like broomstick putters, yeah. A bit like broomstick putters, Damien. Ah, uh, your hypocrisy, my friend. Okay, Phil. Starting to cry again. I'm having another crying Are episode. We, well, it was we, good enough for Nicholas. All I'm going to say is this counterbalancing idea was good enough for Nicholas 45, 50 years ago. Then we should be listening. It's good enough for Garcia now. And certainly based on watching him last year in Dubai, I think it was, smashing his club into the sand, there's no way that he could have done that as effectively if his clubs weren't counterbalanced. So, I mean, think of it like your bunker rake, bunker magic. What was it called? Uh, bunker Wizard. The Bunker Wizard. It would have his work cut out. Could that be a Harry Potter? In the, that's a very good point because it's a pot. Yeah, you know, I got that just slowly. Works better if I don't have to explain it, Phil. A number of things work better <laughs> if you don't have to explain it, Damien. But anyway, counterbalance grips, I really like the fact they're at least thinking about how to apply these more science and physics-based concepts to golf because that's where innovation comes from and we'll touch on that later on when we get to my history lesson, Damien. Oh, well, I, can't, I can hardly wait, Phil, but – Last week, we decided to change up our dreaming segment a little bit, and I set you a I set you a challenge. You set me one. You had to find a place beginning with V for Victor or Victoria, which is where we are now. But you weren't allowed to use find a place 
in Australia. So have you have you had any luck? What have you come up with? Luck? Damien, this is a genuine golf dreaming that somehow I had managed to overlook. So not only are we now talking about future golf destinations or whatever wacky title we morph this to, gold. No, it starts with a G. Okay. It's 30, about 30 minutes north of the UK. Yes. But it's in Spain. Yes. Hey? Espanol. Hey? Come on, Phil. So where we're going that starts with V, Damien, is Valderrama. It was actually a pretty easy one when I think about it. <laughs> That's right. So it's about 30 minutes north of Gibraltar, almost on the coast, but unbelievable. Unbelievable golf course. Crazy pretty. Unbelievable. 1997 Ryder Cup, mm-hmm. famously hosted. The 99 World Golf Championships or World Championships that where Tiger Woods actually hit on 17. He hit a ball into the water on 17 as he was on that charge. So 17 is a bit of a, an iconic hole at Valderrama. First club pro at Valderrama was Henry Cotton. Ah, very um, good. Valderrama designed by Robert Trent Jones Sr. So this is more research than you'd usually put into it. Oh, I know, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it because as I got deeper in from a research point of view, it, my mouth was watering more around I really just need to get there. They've got another event, the Australia Dam Masters, which is also a very nice beer, just quietly. Not that that's our golf tipples. Anyway, so that is where we're playing. Okay. So and Valderrama. So one, okay. So 400 one. euros. Tick. Ooh. 400 euros, 60 euros for a caddy. Okay. So we're on 460 because <laughs> well, you're going to be well, needing one of those. No, it's four. Oh, come on. Do, who needs a caddy? We've talked about this, Phil. 460 euros, Damien. A, a lot point. of things have to go our way for us to get to Valderrama. All right. So Valderrama, what we are seeing while we're there. Yes. Take and, me somewhere. And give me another the, experience. Well, one of the great things, Damien, that you love about me is my pronunciations. So watch me butcher this. Damien, we are going to go and see the Mirador al Higuaron. The, <clears throat> the Mirador al Higuaron. It is a, effectively a, a place where you can look out over Gibraltar, the Rock of Gibraltar, oh, nice. and on a nice clear day you can see Morocco. Ah, very good. Because we're not far away. So that is what we're seeing while we're there. Okay. So it's a beautiful view. Mirador il, al Higuaron. Okay. Next, you know what we're drinking? You're going to love this, and I'm going to give you the recipe. You know what we're drinking? We're drinking Moroccan tea. Damien? Um, incredibly enthused. Get ready for this. Damien, Bombay Sapphire. Ooh, Bombay. Back. Bombay. I might go Bombay. Back. Bombay Sapphire, green tea, spearmint, sugar cane. Gin tea. Lime, green cardamom, and tonic. Oh, that actually sounds very good. Phil. That is very good by me. I mean, you got me at gin. So. Yes, I know. I did. You almost fainted at gin. So that Moroccan tea is what we're drinking. Yes. We're going to eat at a restaurant called Bocana. So you've t- you're, t- you're getting that specific. You're taking yeah. this to a restaurant. Yes, beca- I like this. No, because we actually said what we had to eat. Yeah, we said what we had to eat. We didn't no, say we where. Said, oh, no, we didn't say where. No. So what we, we are going to eat, and we're just going to eat the steak. <laughs> just order the steak special, the is Friday it, night steak special, <laughs> or a chicken parma. <laughs> are they it'll, Norman steaks? <laughs> have they made them there yet? It'll be one of those two. They're actually a tomahawk steak. I love a tomahawk steak. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. And we're going to stay... At Club Maritime de Soto Grande, which is a deluxe resort, massive swimming pool, nice. the nicest things. But Valderrama, really, it is all around the golf course here. Val, it, just unbelievable at Club Real, unbelievable golf course. 
host of essay, so many great things that he's almost a must play. And I can't believe we haven't brought it up in our dreaming before here. So thank you for giving me V because it's reminded me what we're all about. Well, I think you've, you've won that one. That's a pretty, pretty good effort. Damien, I didn't give you V. No, no, you weren't or, that kind. <laughs> or in fact, any letter of the other first 25, Damien, how did you go with your letter, which was? Z. <laughs> right. Or Z for our American listeners. Really easy, Phil, because uh, you didn't you didn't allow me to do a whole lot of things. I just went through my head. Well, what, what possibly starts with Z? Well, I'm going to take you, Phil, to an island, not Ireland, but to an island, and it's an island of Tanzania or Tanzania, as my kids might call it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you to Zanzibar or the Zanzibar it's, Archipelago. It's about time. It's pretty good, and I'm dreaming of. The only course they have there, Sea Cliff Resort and Spa. This thing is the only course in Zanzibar, and it's a, which is Zanzibar itself. Do you know much about it? It's I, a, I'm about to find out much about it. It's a semi-autonomous archipelago, roughly 35 kilometres from the mainland of Tanzania. And why is it only semi-autonomous, Damien? Well, we can go into the geopolitical aspects of this, but we don't have enough time, Phil, because we need to get through this. In other words, I didn't go that far into it, and I don't think it was going to be that interesting. That's what I'm hearing. There we go. But this is a – it's actually a nine-hole course, but they have two sets of tees, so you've seen these kinds of things before, to make it an 18-hole course. Well, an 18-T course. 18-T course. Well, yeah, true. Well, yeah, fair enough. Designed by uh, former Zimbabwean professional Peter Matkovich. Do you know old PM? I hadn't heard of him. Either. <laughs> no, um, but he's also, to give you an idea of some of the other designs he's had, I uh, think Pinnacle Point. Absolutely. I could s- think Pinnacle Point, stunning. but I haven't heard of that. Oh, I've heard of oh, Pete Maravich. Well, then, then Was he a basketballer? Can you give me P for next week, please? <laughs> Pinnacle Point. Go and look it up. That's, that's an outstanding course. But anyway, this the thing that makes this such a beautiful place to go to or a really cool dreaming kind of concept is that it plays along – Indian Ocean, we've got spectacular views. You've got beachfront that you're looking over. It's not overly long, but it's one of those really lovely sort of romps around an island or, or coastal course. So think really lush green, superb bunkering. So how much would you think something like that would cost for a round? 400 euros and 60 euros for a caddy. Minus 400 euros and no caddy. 60, $60 for that round. Is that 60 US dollars? Well, it is US, so. Okay, four, 412, Aussie. <laughs> there we go. But you, where to stay, you'd stay at the resort, which is a really nice resort there, which is why you get better rates on the course itself. But it's just one of those really out-of-the-way places you wouldn't ordinarily think of. And there's, there's actually a fair bit to do in Zanzibar itself. It's a rather cultural city, Phil. The semi-autonomous long? Zanzibar archipelago, is that yes. where we are? Right. Yes, we still are, yes. Thank you for... Repetition is very good, Phil. But it is, it's a rather cultural city. It's had a really long history of various occupations of, of different forces, which has kind of led it to a sort of a fusion of several different cultures. And that's reflected in its cuisine and, and in what they drink and, and sort of the social life there. Guess what the uh, local language is, Phil? Archipelagan. Swahili. Yes. Which means a kipper would fit right in. Right in. No, you're really giving me nothing today. What you need to see while you're the, there. Yes, now I'll give you something. Right. They've got an ancient city called Stonetown, which was declared a cultural heritage site by UNESCO back in, I think it was early 2000s or 2000. Did they name that with a naming competition by chance, Stonetown? Stonetown. Did someone win that? Yeah, it was, well, it was between Rocktown and Stonetown <laughs> and they went the, the smaller option. They didn't go the large 
movable rock. Sorry, you weren't this nasty about Velderon. No, I, I was. Should, I should be quiet and show some respect. You may as well stay on character, Phil. Anyway, so this place is basically a maze and it's kind of one of the things is just trying to work your way around the city is by all reports in itself quite fun where you end up and some of the things that you see there. But more importantly, we're thinking gastronomically, Phil. You and I, we both like spicy foods, right? We do. We do. Well, think of this as a fusion. This is the kind of foods that you're going to get there. Indian, Arabian, Chinese, Portuguese, and other African styles, all blended. All kinds of amazing flavours. And you have that with a fresh sugarcane juice or, wait for it, a tangawizi, which is a ginger ginger chai tea. So you can see how, look, that's the part where it falls down. Do you know, actually- you were, you were saying that's the part it falls down. Do you know that's the part I'm most interested in of everything you've said so far is the Tangawizi? No, um, that's where it falls down. I mean, it's, it's got a strong Muslim influence in the um, in the island, so they don't have yeah. a huge alcohol culture. So to be I'm fair- I'm telling you, Tangawizi, yeah. that's actually piqued my interest. Well, Tangawizi with just a little bit of gin, I think would really step up to quite a drink. But you've got to taste the Tangawizi yes, first. Golf tipples for well, next week. All right, maybe a Tangawizi with a gin twist. Tango, we'll actually, I tell you what, we'll do. We'll do this for next week. You give me Tango Wizzy, I'll give you Moroccan tea. How about we do that as a deal? All right, let's let me have a think about this. Uh, yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, now, now that now that I realise I'm the one who gets the good the oh, yeah, tastier no. drink. Yeah, well good. thought out by me. Anyway, Phil, other things to do there though: scuba diving and snorkeling on these fish filled reefs are just that's my idea of heaven. I love it. It's a proper coastal, relaxing kind of kind of resort and. But more importantly, it has a great little golf track, great little golf experience. Zanzibar. By Pete Marovic. Uh, Markovic. Yes. Marovic. <laughs> I can't remember. I- <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well done. All right. So anyway, more importantly. So, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to say what you were going to say. You get to serve though this time. No, no. I'm saying next week you are going to look for a place, a dreaming place that starts with G. Okay, but I'd like you to make it hard. I need you to raise the bar already. So okay. give me what, something else where it can't be or give me something else because G is a snack. Yeah, but you could – so get creative with it, Phil. Okay. So the most creative place I can come up with a G. Yes. Damien. And what have you got for me, Phil? In keeping with my gift of Z. Oh, here we go. You get to come up with an incredible place for us to – play golf and stay and eat and drink, starting with why. Why? Done. I'll smash that. I already know I've got a feel. Yeah, I was going to say you have this look on your face that says, I've already decided where it is. And in fact, I could rattle it off right now and you're going to hate it and you're going to want to go there. I think that's going to happen. All right. I'll take G. I'll take G to the bank. Damien. Um, No, I'm actually genuine. I'm not trying to put you out here. You're genuine. I genuinely want to see- what you can come up with and what's going to be something okay. kind of exciting to see. I want to learn. I want to learn, Phil. I'm not um, trying to stitch you up. I want to learn. And speaking of learning, it's that time again where everyone can sit back, close your eyes, and listen to a wonderful history lesson from Phil. Feel free to nod off. Thank you, Damien. Well, last week we were talking about Tom Crow and the impact that he made on the golf industry as as one of these trailblazers, and it got me thinking about golf history and paying credence to the people who've helped create the game and make the game what what it is. And so we're going to take golf history in a slightly different direction. And these are not game changers, but these are going to be people who change the game. And the first one is going to be someone who has made it 
enormous impact on, we spoke at the start about my disdain for broomstick putters, but my love of good putters, someone who's made the greatest impact on the short game, Carsten Solheim, Damien, the inventor and the owner or founder of Ping. And the little Ping man as well. We'll get onto that. Or maybe oh, you sorry, can. have I just ruined your story, Phil? No, Damien, no, you haven't ruined my story. But Carsten Solheim, so mechanical engineer, born in Norway in 1911 and moved to the USA in 1913. And yes, everyone, we can look up Wikipedia. In fact, we can look up Wikipedia for most of this <laughs> in reality. But the, the key to the journey was being invited. And if you think about how circumstantial and how beneficial golf was for one little invitation, Carsten Solheim invited by some colleagues from GE to come and play golf in 1954. And on the first green of his first round ever playing golf with borrowed clubs and everything else, he had a putt, missed, missed again, missed yep. again, missed again. And the engineer in his mind said, no, no, this can't be right. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different way. And so he set about creating a different way, which was about exploring perimeter weighting when it came to putting, about exploring a putter that resisted twisting as opposed to just went all over the place depending on where you hit it, which you really need. And one of his first prototypes, the 1A model, was in 1959, that when he actually created the putter and used it, what crazy thing happened with the sound? You tell me. It went ping. The ball pinged off the face. And that, that is obviously where – and everybody probably knows that story, but I'll bore you with it anyway. That's where the name ping came from. So the first tour victory for, ping came in in, for a ping putter came in 1962. But in 1966, one of the iconic shapes that every golf company has – I can't say copied, can I? Can I say borrowed emulated. or heavily influenced by? Hang on, legal, emulated is... Emulated. emulated. We're going with that was actually going to be my word for this week. Yeah, can you fit that in somewhere? Uh, emulated yeah. was the ping answer. And we spoke about the story around when we were talking about Pete Dye and the fact that the island green, or as you would say, Damien, the peninsula, the green, peninsula green at TPC was Alistair's concept, mm-hmm. just as the name answer without the W was Louise Solheim's idea. Because when he put or tried to put, they decided that it was the answer to your putting woes. And when he attempted to put the word answer on the toe of the putter, it was just a little bit too long because the W takes up a lot of space. And so she suggested that why don't you just drop out the W and answer was born and the answer family was born. Uh, Ping answer had its first win with Julius Boros in 1967. And really from then, the rest, as they say, is history. In 1969, Carsten decided to apply the perimeter weighting theory to irons and Away we go. Interesting point is that he's the only manufacturer and golf club manufacturer to be inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. So you talk about impact and starting at the top, impact of that people have made on the golf industry that largely is commercial, but in reality he has made the game easier for so many of us. And I think all of us at different points in time have used a ping product. The journey of Carsten Solheim, we give credit and respect and thanks that he existed. He was truly a game changer. So and Carsten how Solheim. Good is the ping vault as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. let alone where they've taken the idea. One of the, Just, one of the most awesome looking um, things you'll see in golf. So Carsten Solheim, Very mechanical cool. engineer, game changer, legend, history lesson, short, sharp, straight to the point, done. Well done. So now we normally end the podcast at that point, Phil, but usually we talk about a Baron-esque behaviour, something, something that you've seen in the last little while that has uh, said, yeah, that's something that a baron would do. But this week, we're going to change it up slightly because there's a bit of unbaron like behaviour that you need to get off your chest. Basically, you need to give someone a whack. 
I do need to give someone a whack, and I glossed over this last week, and now I just want to have it focus solely on on what I glossed over. Imagine going to the Ryder Cup, one of my dreams, going to the Ryder Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say it was at Madonna. That yep. they were then going to go on and call it the miracle at Madonna, one of the most exciting ones ever ever played. Because so much happened. the The event where Ian Poulter for the first time encouraged noise while he was standing on the first tee uh, that has just flowed on, and everyone had to catch on and saying, "Hey, maybe noise is not a bad thing." So imagine being at the Ryder Cup. I'm trying to hang on the Sunday at Madonna, mm-hmm. and it's all in the balance. Where do you think you'd be? I mean, which match do you think, you, oh. you know, would you be chasing Tiger or, you know? There were so many. Bubba you'd Watson. Front, you'd be front and centre, wouldn't you? You'd be trying to find the front row so you'd you get be, the best. But you'd be in amongst it. You'd, you'd be, be chanting there, with yeah. whatever went the chant, and but you'd be on board, attentive, paying attention. Involved. Do you think, do you think you would be asleep in the captain's lounge at one o'clock? No, I certainly wouldn't be, Phil. Well, the email that I got this week suggested that that was the case, and not only that, that there was photographic evidence timestamped to suggest that was the case, that people were asleep at one o'clock in the captain's lounge with their feet up on the table during the miracle at Madonna. Are you going to name names here, Phil? I am not absolutely going to name names, Damien, because legal is telling me that I really shouldn't name names, but what I want to declare that would they as be, potentially- would they, would they be blacklisted at Hop Sings for this? What I'm going to say is they will potentially, that is potentially the most- Unbaronesque behaviour that I've ever heard, and it was fantastic that I received an email reminding me of it, or in fact reinforcing the story that I told last week. Let's be fair, Nick. I, I knew the story. I just didn't want to highlight it, including a photo, including a photo of them being asleep in the captain's lounge because maybe that enjoyed themselves a little bit too much the night before. Uh, so it was a drinking related. on the back of a few other nights of enjoying themselves a bit too much the night before. Miracle at Madonna. Unseen, the majority of it, unbaronesque. Well, was that something that you would have predicted from the people you're talking about? I would not have predicted it, Damien, but there are other things that I would have predicted. That makes me think it could be time for crystal balls. I think it's the opportune time for crystal balls, Damien, because we are proving to have foresight that is out of this world. They've been all right thus far. Fingers crossed we can keep this going, embrace our inner medium. Is that what they call themselves? Anyway, Phil, I've got one for you this week. It's for later in the year, but I think the timing, I, th- I want to get this on the record early. So the Volvo China Open, pretty big tournament over in Europe, or well, the European tour. Well, I'm going to say, so this is, it's played in April, but I'm going to say this year's version is going to be cancelled due to all this hysteria around coronavirus. I really like that. And I particularly like the way you finished it was the hysteria around okay. the coronavirus as opposed to the coronavirus yes. itself. It's just this this scaremongering that will come as a result of it. Swine flu, avian flu, Y2K bug. We love we love to get upset and scared. Armageddon. Horrible <laughs> things. The four horsemen. <laughs> but I think that's actually a really good call because I think there's a good chance that that can happen because it'll only take, let's say, 10% of the field to be advised by their manager's mm-hmm. science and medicine-related Scientologist to say it's got bad juju. Yes. And I don't think I don't think you should go. I think you're right. Well, that's why I'm predicting it. I mean, it makes sense. I'm like, no. Genius. Hysteria genius. is what's going to shut down that event. Look, it's a bit of an – it's a bit of an – I suppose it's more of a, uh, a social commentary than it is a genuine prediction. Well, I can assure you the mind's worse. <laughs> 
than that. Oh. Not I mean worse in terms of the yeah. horror and the terror and where it could go and, and the hysteria. Like mine's just really crap, but I'm going to give this a go. Well, why change? Let's go. Right. The R&A are going to do a bit of a, an about face on their rules. The Royal and Ancient. The Royal and Ancient. And I'm not necessarily talking about the flag stick rule, although I think that'll be reversed. Is it about using T's? You're not allowed to use them anymore? There are two things they're going to do. They're going to implement the teaser band. Yes. Yeah. Broomstick putters are encouraged. But what they're going to do, they're going to change the dropping rule. Oh, from, you hate this rule. Yeah, from, they're going to change it from knee height, which is yeah. going to be awesome. Which is six foot for you. Yep. Yeah, it's a little bit – It's well, it's higher than yours. Oh, let's be fair, Nick. But in further ev- – <laughs> Mine's effectively just placing it. <laughs> but in further evidence of the RNA's inability to actually make commonsensical decisions, they're going to move it from knee height mm-hmm. to mid-thigh. Mid-thigh? Yeah, they're going to just mid-thigh. Because why not be arbitrary? I mean, if we've gone knee height, shoulder height, yeah, no, that's inconsistent. Knee height, well, that's inconsistent. We might as well go mid-thigh and get even more ambiguous. So it was out of placing the ball and a mid-thigh drop, Mm -hmm. we're going mid-thigh. So the RNA are going to change the rules that all balls must be dropped from mid-thigh. Genius. Genius. That is, no, that is comfortably the worst, dumbest thing I've ever worst, come out of your mouth. Worst crystal ball that p- could possibly happen. Do you know why I did a bad one? Why did you do a bad one? Because all the rest of them now are going to look fantastic. Yeah, interesting. I'm a deep thinker of the game, don't you? Well, on that note and on this terribly hot day, if you haven't been able to tell, <laughs> that's the end of Tenuous Winks. Winks? Tenuous Winks. Oh, okay. Good. So not only is it Black the end of Tenuous Winks, <laughs> But one of the well, I don't Tenuous even know. winks is what Phil does when he's at a bar. <laughs> well, it's like a like quasi wink. And on, and on that note, we are done for this week. Special thanks to today's sponsor, the new Titleist AVX Balls. And also thanks to Victoria Golf Club for hosting us today. And please be sure to join the Golf Barons community at baronslife.com to get our reminders on every podcast that we release. Releases of Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle Magazine as well as Golf Baron's show content and plenty of other things. Phil, until next week, old boy. Watch out for your tenuous winks.